Title of this morning's message, Wisdom for Godly Young Men. As we come to salvation, we have been taken from darkness into lights. Anyone who is saved has been brought from death unto life. And we sometimes take that for granted as time goes by. But we are a new creation, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We have been born from above. We have new life. And as such, we are to live it in a practical way. And in this epistle, as we know, Paul has been encouraging Titus and giving practical advice on how to live that life. He has done it for leadership. And now he is systematically addressing some specific groups within the local assembly. Why? So that their daily living, so that the body life among the people of God and among the world would result in a working out of salvation that would shine as a light that would show itself different, that would attract others to the gospel of Jesus Christ as they look at our lives individually in every one of these areas. He has addressed the leadership, he has addressed older men, and he has addressed older women and now younger women, and we come to this section of chapter 2 where he now turns his attention to younger men. So you say, what category? Again, if you've been with us, you know. This is any young man who is a man that is under the age of 60. So if you're under the age of 60, this is specifically directed to you. There is no question about it. After this, there is one more group that he will address, and that is slaves. And we will deal with also in a practical application to an employment, employer-employee relationship type of thing. But let's jump right in because of time. What does it say here? In verse 6, he says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. This is not a new word to us. What are the young men to do? How are they to behave? What is to go on? Well, in chapter 2, if you look at verse 2, it talked about the older men to be dignified, sensible. And now we have it in verse 5, where again he was talking about the young women, and we had the same term come up. So what do we got in, in this passage? What do, what do we see over and over? We had to be alert, we saw. This word sensible is to be alert, to be clear-minded, to be clear-headed, to be sober, to be sober-minded. And it really boils down to the concept of self-control. Men under the age of 60 are to have self-control. And it's interesting because it's covered every category. It doesn't matter whether you're an older man, a younger man, an older woman, a younger woman, one of the things that's pretty constant is that we are to have self-control. Now, the next expression, just so I address it very briefly, but uh, properly in the context, it says, in all things. Now, there is a debate as to whether that's connected to verse 6 and, or verse 7. And in my personal opinion, it doesn't matter where you connect it because it fits both areas. And I'm not exactly sure whether it's that they should be sensible in all things or in all things that they should be a good example in what he's going to get into next. But at any rate, wherever it fits in, young men are certainly to be in control. Now, in order to have me amplify this, this is not the only thing that's said in Scripture to young men. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's turn up our ears 
to high volume. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. And he's interestingly addressing Timothy, who was a young man. And oftentimes people think of Timothy as a teenager. That is not so. But he was a man that was under the age of 60 when he was told to let no one despise his even youth. But here we see what he says. Now flee from youthful lust. Pursue, he's talking to a young man. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. He tells the young men to be sensible. He tells the young men to have self-control. And part of the instruction to young Timothy was to flee youthful lusts. Why? Let me get right to the heart of the issue. I'll tell you why. Too many young men are trying to live the glory days. Quote, unquote. Too many young men are living in the past. They're not living in the present or looking in anticipation to the future. They're not taking seriously their responsibilities now. And young men are called to have clear thinking. Young men are called to be sensible or to be under self-control. And in Timothy's instruction, he was to flee. He was to run away from that childish stuff that so many young men today, yes, in the 21st century, are still doing. They're playing around like little boys and not taking on the responsibility. They are impulsive with their finances. They are overly anxious and ambitious with their hobbies. And they are neglecting their families. And basically, they are the Peter Pans of society. They don't want to grow up. Who is it? Young men under the age of 60 who won't take on the responsibilities in their, with their wife, with their families, and are playing like little boys with bigger toys. And they're told that they urge the young men to have a bright mind. In case you don't think that that is the thinking of our society, I could not believe one of the things that I read just this past week. And in fact, I showed it to my wife so that when I was going to use it, I had another witness that saw it, and you can go look it all up. But I'll tell you where it came from. It was written this past Wednesday, the 25th of September, and it was written in England's Health Magazine, which is the magazine that's respected for where health and the industry of hospitalization and the thinking of psychology with health and everything is going. And this was the headlines, and I quote, an adult at age 18, zip, question mark. What does that mean? In other words, today, this is not part of the quote, today, when, when is a person considered an adult? When they're 18. And if you don't believe that, your child has the right to leave you when they're 18 and do anything they want. However, listen to the rest of the quotation. An adult at 18, question mark, not anymore. Adolescence now ends at age 25. 
I continue, to prevent young people from getting an inferior complex, end quote. They are fast moving toward now changing, and you will see it in this country. It'll just take a little time. That no more is a person going to be considered an adult at 18. It'll be 25 because we don't want to give those people between 18 and 25 an inferiority complex. In the article, I went on and read it. I could not believe what it was saying. They basically want to let people 18 to 25 still play and not grow up. In fact, I'll quote another part of it. It said this, I quote, it is hoped, it, it is hoped that these changes will prevent children from being rushed through childhood. Rushed through childhood? Mary probably had the Lord Jesus Christ when she was a teenager. We are treating teenagers like they're babies. And we're treating 18 and 25 year olds like they're little boys. And that mentality, and I know what I'm talking about. I was involved, as you know, in many sports. And as I got out and I got married, before I got saved, I was with big boys who never grew up and wanted to play all the time and wouldn't take the responsibilities at jobs and at homes and take the responsibility that they should have been taking as a husband and a father. And now our world's going to say, hey, wait till after 25. Are you kidding me? We need to take on responsibility. And our young men, listen, even you better be teaching your children <laughs> I just thought of something I got to share. Responsibility. It happened in my own family. Okay? I'll be quick. But I have to share this. In one of my families, one of my children are trying to teach their young children responsibility. By the way, they are under the age of six. Okay? And this is a true story. And what happened was in teaching them responsibility, we're teaching them, look, you have the responsibility for your room. You have to pick up your toys. You have to put them away. You have to make your bed and all this responsibility. And they got, a, they got called up to the room one day because their youngest child, who was an infant, got woken up by the other two children. And so they ran upstairs and they walked in and all the three children were in the same room. And uh, one of my children said to their, their children, uh, you know, look what you've done. You've caused the baby to wake up. And you could tell they were learning because I have to tell you, this person's only three years old and turned around and said, Dad, not my child, not my responsibility. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of amazing. And uh, they couldn't discipline him because they just got crushed by what he said. But. The point is, it is important that we're teaching children responsibility. We shouldn't have to take a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old and turn around and teach them responsibility. Young men, take on your responsibility. That's what he's teaching. Think, use your mind, use your head, and take those responsibility and flee away from the youthful things. It was nice while you were a child. You're no longer a child. 1 Peter 5, let's turn there quickly. 1 Peter 5, 5. Why? I got a few more things I want to say to you young men. 
Honestly, if you guys are reading the passage in Titus, you probably, as you were looking ahead, say this is good because all he says is one thing to the young men, and he had that long list for the women, and there's only one thing, so you probably thought all Pastor Dan's going to say is be sensible and I'm done, move on. No, it doesn't work that way. There's other things. First Peter chapter 5, very important thing. Catch this one. You younger men, that's why I chose this. Watch. He's still talking to the younger men. This is Peter now. Likewise, now watch. Be subject to your elders. Young men, you should be showing the example of what it means to submit to leadership, of what it means. You shouldn't be the complainers. You should be the followers. And then he says this. And he says, in all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think that's so important for young men to realize. What is it? Humility. Now why? Why would you say that? Clothe yourself with humility, young men. I'll tell you why. Because young men have a tendency to be proud. You say older men do too, Pastor Dan. Yes. But especially younger men. Want me to be practical with it? Here it is. They're so proud they never want any help. That's one of the danger of young men. I've got it under control. Don't let anybody know that I'm struggling spiritually. I don't want anybody to know. That's pride. Don't you dare, wife, go to get any help in this area. I don't want anybody to know our problems. That's pride. Marriage, finances, advice, job, I can handle it. That's nothing more than a young, proud man. And listen, husbands, listen, fathers, listen, young men under 60, swallow your pride. Your marriage may be in jeopardy. Your job may be in jeopardy. Your spiritual life may be in jeopardy. And you're going to walk around like a little boy with pride? Why? You know why? Because men have a tendency to be embarrassed by anyone knowing anything that's going on in their life because we expect to be perfect. We're not. We're not. And you know who need the help the most? It isn't the wives. And it isn't the young women and the young men, uh, young, uh, excuse me, older women. It's the young men. Those are the ones that really need to have some clear thinking. Men need to be men. They need to have self-control in every area. That is their finances, their hobbies, I've mentioned it, sexual temptation, their speech. One of the biggest areas is young men that need the help in that area. And it's one of the areas that young men don't want to talk about any of those things. And the bottom line is because of the pride that's in their life. And they would be the last ones to say that they are proud. In fact, they would be the first ones to point out the pride in everybody else. I read in Ephesians chapter 5 for a reason this morning. I had us all read collectively. You know why? Because the charge, if you are a husband or a father, 
The charge there is strong. The wives are to submit, and the husbands love that. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Yeah, you better do that, wife. Do you know that the greater charge is given to the man? What is that? Love your wife, and this is what he says. As Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for you. Husbands, you need to be ready to lay your wife, your life down for your wife. She is to be so precious in your eyes that you will do anything. If it means giving up a particular hobby, if it means getting involved in something that she likes that you don't, if it means taking care and putting your children first above your pride, if it means taking care of the situation so that our marriage can be stronger and I have to get embarrassed by it, I'm going to deal with the issue because I love my wife as Christ loved the church. <clears throat> we need young men like this in the church of Jesus Christ today. People that don't want to play Peter Pan and act as little boys. People that aren't so concerned about being macho or looking cool in the world, but are more on taking responsibility and being clear-minded and pursuing spiritual things and not caring what other people are going to think about them and taking stands on the word of God. That is the type of young men we need. And he points that out very strongly to Titus in our text. Tell the young men to be sensible. And that includes those other areas that I looked at. To have humility in their life. To flee away from their youthful passions. I had to go, as you know, with refereeing, I had to go to a particular meeting. And I was fascinated by, I don't know if fascinated is the right word. I probably discouraged. My wife knows when I get home. Was it one of those regular meetings? Yeah, it was. What I saw was a bunch of little boys. That's what it was. All they were talking about was the glory days and the glory this, and they did this, and this happened, and this was fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, when are these guys going to grow up? When are you going to live in the present? Christians live in the present with a view of the future, the Lord's return. That's a charge. He goes on in our text. Now, in all things, I said that, whether you want to connect that to the last verse or this verse, most of your Bibles have it connected to this verse, but if you read most commentaries, most commentaries say it really goes in the other verse, so I don't know. But here it is. Next thing is show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Be an example. That's the second part of your notes. Number one, be clear-headed. As a young man, first of all, you need to understand that if you're under the age of 60, you have a responsibility to be under self-control of every area of your life so that you are honoring God. You, not somebody else, but you. And then he says this, be an example. Now let me under, uh, under, have you understand the context. He's directing it specifically to Titus. How do you know that? In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. Titus was probably a young man, just like Timothy was when he was addressed in Timothy. And what he's telling him, he's directing Titus to show yourself to be an example. What does that mean? To be a role model. 
Let me be very specific right here. Can our children look to you young men as role models? You say, yeah, oh yeah, I have a great relationship with kids, really? Are you an example by the way you work? Are you an example by the way you manage your finances? Are you an example by the way you talk about others? Young people are listening. Are you an example by the way you treat your wife? Are you an example by the way you handle your family? Are you an example by the way you drive? I better stop, right? We need that. We need examples. And Titus was told, if you're going to be teaching the young men, teaching the older men, you yourself need to be an example. You need to be a role model. Our children need good role models. And they are looking to us. It's interesting. I won't take the time to turn there, but I'll give it to you. This word comes from the word that's the same word that's used in John chapter 20, verse 25. Listen carefully. It's when John wanted to see the imprints in the hand. That's this word. He said, I want to see it with my own eyes. There was an imprint, an impression. And I believe there's an application, I want you to catch this, to all of us. Yes, he's directing it to Titus, but don't miss the boat. He's been talking about the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, and he wants to direct it to Titus first, but he wants it for all of us. We are all to be examples. All believers, let people see you and say, that's what a Christian is. Let people look at your life and notice that there's a difference. Many of you probably went to the Deerfield Fair. I was with some other people. We were there. And uh, we were talking with some people we didn't even know. And the woman turned around to us, and she said, I knew there was a difference. And she talked about Christianity. That should happen in every one of your lives. Every one of our lives, people should understand by the way we talk, by the way we do things. We are to be attracting people to the gospel. You say, I haven't had many opportunities to witness. Is your life attracting people to the gospel? Is my life attracting people to the gospel? Is your family life? Is your work life? Is your church life attracting people to the gospel? Is your phone conversations, your Facebook comments, your Twittering, your blogging, is that attracting people to God? Or is it causing people to listen and want nothing to do with Christianity? I don't know. We all have to answer that. Turn with me to a number of verses very quickly. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Stay with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to see that this is a constant theme. What? To be an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, Paul said. Why? Just as I also am of Christ. Let me ask myself. 
Is that true? You know, as I stand up here in the pulpit and stand preaching publicly, I'll be quite honest. I have to apologize to you as a pastor. I've failed many times in this area. Have you failed? Is our life something so that I can say, I am following Christ, look at me and follow me? Come on, you know what? Come on in the course of my day and follow me because I'm following Christ. When I'm on the phone, when I'm on my computer, when I'm driving my car, when I'm handling my family, when I'm having conversations with others, Paul could say that. Go back to chapter 4, same book. See if this is a constant thing. Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. That's Paul. He exhorts. Follow me. Can I say that? Can you say that? Go to Philippians chapter 3. Stay with me. Philippians chapter 3. You go over to Philippians and get to the third chapter. Look at verse 17. Some of you with the computers are there a lot quicker than I am right now. Brethren, join in following my example. Watch this. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have seen where? In us. You have in us. Can we say that? Follow my example and look for those. We need to do that to our children. Look for those who are following Christ. Look for those who see the value in the local church. We should be telling that to our young people. Look for those whose conversation honors God. Look for those who love the Lord and are serving. Not talking about serving, but serving. Paul could say that. Look around. Get the examples and follow. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Let's turn there. It's very constant in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians, 3rd chapter. Look at verses 8 and 9. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model, there it is, for you, so that you would follow our example. That's pretty practical. What is he saying? We worked hard night and day. What? To be an example so that you could look at it. A model that you could follow. Wouldn't demand anything. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Just a couple more. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no one look down on your youth. And again, as I told you, people would think that he was a teenager. Not the case. Let no one look down on your youth, youthfulness, but rather, watch this, and he's specific. We're going to get back to that in Titus in just a second. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, show yourself an example to those of those who believe. Let every one of us, man, woman, boy, girl, in this room, ask ourselves that question. And you notice what he starts with first? The same thing he was addressing with the ladies, speech. 
Let's ask ourselves, all of us, am I an example of godliness in my speech, my conduct, my love, my faith, my purity? That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Let me just turn you to this one. I have a couple of verses, but let's turn to this. Go with me to Acts chapter 4 for a minute. Book of Acts, chapter 4. Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. Pretty simple. Now they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, and they were amazed and began to recognize something. They began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? That we are examples, and as people look at our lives, they might say, you know what, that person's not very smart. That person doesn't have a lot of abilities. But you know what? I can see that that person's been with Jesus. When people walk away from us, is that what they think of us? Is that what they think? Can people see the Lord in you and in me? Go back to Titus quickly as we wrap this thing down or up. He doesn't leave it there. In Titus, he says, number one, be sensible and be under self-control. Then he says to Titus, and we're applying it to everybody, be in a good, good example. Well, in what areas? Well, he gives several. Number one, good deeds. Look at it. It's right there in verse 7. Be an example in good deeds. We are called, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, excuse me, verse 10, every believer has been saved not as a result of good works. Please get this clear. No one gets saved as a result of good works. It is a free gift of God. We know that here. Only God can provide salvation. No religion, no system of any kind trying to observe something can make a person holy. Only God can do that. However, he has placed us in the body of Christ, and he has so designed us and created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. That is the way our salvation works out. That is the way it is seen by the world. We are involved so that we ought to work out our salvation. That's what it means. That which is excellent. This word, good deeds, means our life should be producing that which is excellent, that which is of good quality, that is which, which is helpful. I want you to notice that it's interesting in this text as he talks about good deeds. Do you remember chapter 1, verse 16? Take a look. They professed, this is the unbelievers. They professed to know God. How did they deny him? Somebody answer that. By their deeds. You know, we look at our lives and all think, we all think we're the perfect ones. But others look at our lives, just like you look at mine, you can see every flaw that's in my life. There's no question why. I'm in a fishbowl. I find it rather interesting just to be open publicly. 
Over the years, I've been told how many times I, don't, I can't count them anymore, how my life is so secretive and private. That's a joke. I'm in a fishbowl. My whole family's in a fishbowl. Everything I say and do is examined by anywhere from 10 to 250 people all the time. So are you. And what we think we are, other people see right through it. And that's true with you. That's true with every one of us. And what we need to see, he's called us unto good works and is to be producing. And they denied who they said they belonged to. And notice this, being detestable and disobedient. They were worthless. They weren't producing anything good in their life. Oh, they did a lot of talking, but there was no action. You ever seen situations like that? Have you ever done that yourself? You talk about everything, you talk about a good game, and then it's, okay, you're that good? Let's see it. Oh, well, you know, my back's bothering me. Oh, I'm kind of old now. Well, then stop talking that way. Show it. That's what he's saying. That's not me. He's, Paul's talking to Titus. He's saying, show it by your good deeds. Jesus was a pattern of good works, wasn't he? Even those that despised him, he still showed goodness toward them. He still showed good works even when he was rejected. That's to be a pattern of our life. Notice number two. I need to proceed on. In, in Titus chapter 2, he says, have a pattern of good deeds. The specifics are uh, good deeds. Second one is purity in doctrine. Purity in doctrine. Sound. Uncorrupted doctrine, orthodox. I love this one because you know what? Anyone that's been saved for any length of time, that's all you hear about. Debates, 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 and talks, and they're all perfect. And it happens among pastors. Be true to the word of God. Be orthodox to the word of God. Just the simplicity of the class that we were in this morning. When God says that he created the world in six days, I don't care how many theological magazines you read, or who's behind it? I'll take God's side. God said six days, sounds good to me, I believe it. When you go to the word of God, don't make it mean something else to satisfy your area. Be sound in doctrine, be orthodox. Does it line up with the word of God? Does it line up with the apostles? Does it line up with the prophets? Does it line up with the founding fathers? That's what matters, the word of God. Even my preaching, there's nothing new. I'm not here to preach a new message. Isn't it interesting people want to go church to church to hear different people? Why? The message is the same if it's being preached right. If you hear a message, it should be the same one that the Apostle Paul would preach, whether it's by me or anybody else. Because all we have to do is deliver God's word. Thirdly, be dignified, he says. That's the third one. Show an example by being dignified. What? Honorable. That was found in verse 2, right? In verse 2, older men were to be temperate, dignified. So I won't deal at length with that again. Worthy of respect. Am I worthy of respect? You say, no, Pastor Dan. Well, if not, I beg your forgiveness. By God's grace, I hope I can change. But let me now ask you, are you worthy of respect? Are you? In the way you're walking with God? by your reading, by your good deeds? Are you a veteran? 
Are you a young man that is under 60 who's not shaken by anything that comes along? That's what it's dealing with. The world could turn upside down, but I'm resting in Christ. God's still on the throne. Number four, verse eight, quickly. Sound in speech. Isn't it interesting? It comes right back to it. It was the first thing that was listed in one area. It's the last thing that's listed here. How do I show to be an example? In sound speech. This is not dealing with talking about the word of God. This is our day-to-day -day conversations that he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Is our day-to-day -day conversations healthy? Are they wholesome? Do they build up? We've been in the passage in Ephesians before, but let's turn to it again. Ephesians chapter 4. Here's the guideline for our daily speech. Now again, we all have, today there's so many cell phones, it's incredible. I said at the fair, there was somebody in front of us, I think that person, my guess, maybe eight years old, and out of the back pocket fell an Apple phone. You know, how young with the phones and whatever. I'm not against that, but what I'm saying, we have phones, we have conversations, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. All of that goes on. Well, does it represent this? Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that which is a, a word as is good for edification. When I talk about you, do I use words that build up? When you talk about me, do you use words that build up? When you talk about the person on this side, this person talks about the person on that side. You know who destroys the church of Jesus Christ? Christians. You know how they do it? With what James calls the tongue, which is a fire. A fire. Let, rem let me remind us what the Lord said himself in the Gospels. Every word that's uttered, we will give an account for. We'll give an account for. He says, let our speech be that which is edifying. Watch. According to the need of the moment. And here it is. So that it will give grace to those who hear. As an unbeliever listens to a Christian's conversation or sees it on Twitter, Facebook, in the, in the bathroom, wherever it might be, on the field, in the rooms, are they getting grace by what they're hearing? And saying, I want to follow that. Or are they turned away from God? He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption. Let all that bitterness and wrath and anger, he's talking to believers, and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Pretty strong. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Don't tell me you've forgiven somebody when 10 years after the fact you're still talking about it. The only one you're fooling is yourself. Because if you forgave, does God still talk about our sin? Right? He says, oh yeah, I remember 10 years ago and I've forgiven that, but let me bring it up to you again. Does God do that with you? Does he do it with me? Believers do it all the time. I've forgiven it. And it's on their speech in two more minutes. 
No, you haven't. You haven't at all. We ought to use our speech and be sound in it. That's how we're to be an example. It's interesting, and I'll close with this, with one other reference that I'll go to. It says here in Titus chapter 2, in verse 8, that you to have the sound speech which is beyond reproach. No one will be able to reproach you. Why? So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Notice this. Who gets put to shame in the long run? The opponent. Now, I want you to go back in Titus for one second to Titus chapter 1 and look at verse 10. Do you remember this? For there are many rebellious men. Who are they? Empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. You know what he was saying to them? They're Jews who profess to know God. And they're empty talkers, rebellious. That's who they are. And he says those were the opposers. So when you look at the context of verse 8, that the opponent, who was the opponent? The rebellious men who are empty speakers, who said a lot of words that didn't mean anything, who weren't edifying anybody. And he says, so they'll be put to shame. Why? Because they will be falsely accusing. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. Where maybe you've heard something, and then you repeated it, or you made it, drew a conclusion about it, and then you eventually got to the person or understood the whole circumstances, and the one that got embarrassed was you? Why? I've been there. Because I didn't have all the information. And yet I became an empty talker. And who gets embarrassed? It's like someone going to court. That's why the proverb says that. Be careful. Because when you take your neighbor to court, you might be the one embarrassed when they present their side of the argument. That's what it says. We need to be careful. We need, they will have nothing to say. When he turns around and says, I didn't say that. That's not what happened. And who gets embarrassed? We do. Unfounded charges. And what happens is, don't let that happen in our life. He says, you tell the young men to be sound thinkers. And Titus, you yourself and everybody else as a believer, be good examples. Well, how? Let's see the good deeds. How else? Be pure in your doctrine in the word of God. How else? Be dignified. Let the quality that comes out of your life be something that's honorable. How else? In your speech. Don't be the type of person that just talks and later gets embarrassed, but that there's no way to embarrass you because what you spoke was the truth. That's what he says. And the interesting thing is, the whole time, catch this if you caught nothing else in the message this morning. Every believer is to protect not himself, but the gospel in the cause of Christ. Look at verse 5 there. Remember that? When he talked to the young woman, end of the verse. So that the word of God would not be dishonored. That's what we're concerned about. Verse 10, which we didn't get to yet. He says, but showing all good faith. Why? Watch. 
so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. We're going to get there. The idea is we represent Christ, and that's what people are looking at. And we ought to be an example. So let me encourage all of us. Young men, take on your responsibility. Think soundly. Grow up. Put on some humility. Let God work in the life. Let's set ourselves to be an example of what is good. Let's truly have integrity. Not talk about it, but have it. Take the word of God seriously. Think about your speech before you talk. Live in a way that when you say a you're a believer, other people that don't know you or that hear you or who do know you would walk away and say, I got nothing to charge. The person's life, speech, and actions line up with what they profess. Might God help all of us to be that way? If we do, others will be attracted to the gospel of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I know you've challenged my own heart today, and I pray you've challenged each one of us, not just the young men, but yes, the young men, to be sober-minded, to think clearly, not as the world influences us. Father, if we're honest, many times we get frustrated with ourselves, and as a result, we make all kinds of excuses. But I pray in these few moments here, we'd all humble our hearts and Father, in any area that I've failed, in any area that anyone in this room has failed to be an example of what it is to be a Christian, that have caused others maybe not to be attracted to Christ, God, forgive us. Help us to walk in a way that we shine as lights. Help us to be a good example in every one of these areas, that the name of Christ might be exalted that others might walk away knowing that we've spent time with Jesus, that we are his disciples. And I pray that this body would be encouraged by it, that you would be glorified because of it, and that we would shine as lights. We thank you for this time. We pray these things and ask your blessing on the afternoon and all its activities. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.